0: Scientific person, uh, that's just not my subject. And uh, but you know, uh, I, and I'm definitely not a green thumb person. I have the I have a brown thumb. I kill everything. It's amazing. And uh, you know you know that monkey grass stuff that grows like in, they say it'll grow anywhere. Me and Dare have the gift of killing it. It's amazing. It's really amazing. And uh, you know, but but I do understand a few things about some things when it comes to the scientific world. Like, as an example, the root system of a tree is much bigger than the tree that you see. Uh, you know, by a lot of what I've understood is they say that typically, not always, but typically the root ball, the root system of a tree is twice the size of the canopy of the tree. So in other words, look at the branches and how far they stretch. And that, that many to, most of the time, the, the root system is actually twice that big. You know, so, like, I had this big tree uh, at, right next to our house in Arkansas. It was a big pine tree, but it was, like, this big around. I mean, it was huge. And all I could ever think about was its roots are in the front of my house because it was in the backyard. But those roots, that root system, because it was, like, for me to the wall, and I'm like, I hope that thing don't come down on my house because it would just chop my house in half. You know, and roots are important. What we see is not always the most important thing. And I think sometimes what happens is, is that we try to deal with things on the surface of what we're trying to fix, what we're trying to become, and because we know that God wants to do something, and we're out here trying to deal with the external things, trying to fix it out on the external, like trying to, I'll say it this way, we're trying to fix our behavior instead of fixing what's actually causing the behavior. So that's what this series is all about. Why? Because we have spiritual roots. You can go read in Ephesians chapter 1. Chapter 3, it's called the Ephesians Prayers. And, and one of the things that it says is, may your roots grow down deep. So that what? That, why? Because that's where your nourishment comes from. And, it, and it's talking about into your life with God. Will your, may your roots grow down real deep and grab that, that spiritual nourishment that you're going to need to live. And so before, we, before I teach from Scripture, I want to tell you a little story this morning. Now, this is a true story. You can go look it up. But how many of you know what the giant sequoia trees are? Like in Yosemite, California, Northern California, Oregon, kind of that area. Okay, well, I'm going to tell you the story of two of these trees. Because as many of you know, and and I'll share some things with you about it, there were two of these trees that were very, very close in proximity. They weren't right next to each other, but they were really, really close. And one day they fell. Now, these trees were over 250 feet tall. They're over 1,000 years old. I mean, just these just massive, just beautiful trees, and they weren't dead. That's not what caused them to fall. It actually wasn't even the wind, necessarily. That played a contributing factor, but that's actually not what made the trees fall, which ultimately led to the trees dying, right? I mean, that's the, when trees fall, they don't typically live. It's usually the end of the story for them. And so this, these particular ones are in what's called the Mariposa Grove, which is a sequoia grove located in Wawana, I think I said that right, California, which is the southernmost part of Yosemite National Park. Now, this is on my bucket list. I want to go see these trees, by the way. I I've never been out there, but I want to. And, and so it, this, in particular it's the largest grove. Of giant sequoias in the park. So it's a specific grove within Yosemite. And and it's, you know, there's a specific area where these things grow. And they're very special trees in many ways. And so, you know, there's hundreds of these trees there. And so many of them, these specifically, were over a thousand years old. And so these trees were thriving in their environment, right? I mean, they were growing. They were getting huge. I mean, people would come and take pictures with them. And, I mean, just massive these particular ones were both over 30 stories tall. It was huge. But on a certain day, they fell. And when they fell, they left a hole in the canopy of the forest the size of a jetliner. So from flying over top, there was this massive hole in the forest. Why? Because two trees had fell. And so, of course, they wanted to start doing a lot of research, but just to kind of give you some perspective on how big these trees are. Now, many of you, even if you're not familiar with it, I'm about to show you some pictures. You'll be like, "Oh, that's what you're talking about." And so, but let me give you an example. There's one specific one that's named the Grizzly Giant. It's the largest tree in the park, and they estimate it to be somewhere between 1,900 and 2,400 years old. It's the oldest tree. It has a volume of 34,000 cubic feet. Does anybody know how big that is? Because I didn't. I had to go do some math. So this is what that works out to be. Take 254,337 gallons of milk. It's over a quarter of a million gallons of milk. That's how big this tree is. I mean, I'm like, wait a second. I, I can't even bring that into my, really into my mind frame. It's actually counted to be the 25th largest tree in the world. It stands at 210 feet tall with a base, which is, and I'll explain this because I had to go look this up too because, again, I'm not the science guy, so I had to go get some help from Google on this. The basal circumference was 92 feet and the diameter was 30 feet. It's 30 feet across. If you were to take a drill bit and drill straight through, you need a 30-foot drill bit to get all the way through it. Now, that basal circumference is this. So it's actually chest high. It's one and a half meters off the ground. So it's about around five feet-ish. And then they took a tape measure and went all the way. it took you 92 feet to get all the way around that tree. That's the grizzly giant tree. That's one big old tree. So I want to show you a couple pictures just so that we're all on the same page. So we got some pictures I'm going to share with you. You ever seen this where people drive their cars through? We can go to the next one. That's, that's actually like way back. They originally bore that thing out to take horse and buggy through it. That was actually why they originally did this in the forest. And then here's one when it had, they had, it had fallen and they cut it. Now, this is what I want you to see. About a third of the way in from the left, you see the two gentlemen standing in the middle of the picture? You see them right there in the red shirt? Look how big that tree is. It's huge. It's massive. Let's go to the next one. And this is the really pretty fancy, probably a postcard somewhere. So how many of you are familiar with that picture or have seen it? Okay, these are, that's the trees I'm talking about. Now, that particular one did end up dying and falling, by the way. But that's a side note. But it makes me wonder, though, like a tree that is so huge, so old, it is, I mean, no doubt seen drought, probably seen fire. It's seen all kinds of things. Why all of the sudden would they fall? two of them are like close in proximity there wasn't a massive storm that came through but just one day two of them just there's actually video of these things falling you you know where people would be in the park and they've actually caught it on camera it's pretty crazy to watch and so you know but but it begins to make me kind of wonder like what would make these trees fall i mean they're amazing they're powerful and so when they went in and started doing the research as to what happened and why, you know, because of course they're wanting to preserve the rest of the trees. And, and what they found out was this, is that the, the problem was people. People coming into the park were actually creating the damage. And, and so this is, actually, this is specifically what caused it, is that officials say that it was human traffic through the forest that may have played a huge role. Ultimately, and I'll, I'll explain this here in a moment. It's this, it comes down to this. It was a root problem. It wasn't the tree. It wasn't the leaves. It wasn't like they had you know, huge dead branches, and you're like, oh, that tree's dying. No, no, no. It was fully in bloom. These trees weren't sick. They didn't have bugs. I mean, they were perfectly healthy trees. And yet they had a problem with their root system. Why? Why? Because everybody, just as I just showed you, they were driving their cars through them. People are walking around them. People are taking pictures by them. And human traffic actually began to affect the soil around the roots. And so this is what they said, is that these particular trees need to be in well-drained soil. So water needs to be able to flow around the tree, but also get away from it. It doesn't need to sit in a bunch of water. And the walking around the base of these giant sequoias actually caused harm. And this is how it did it. It actually compacted the soil around their shallow root system. For as big as these trees were, their root system wasn't huge like many other trees. They're actually pretty minimal. But it prevents the tree from getting enough water and oxygen that it needs. You know, sometimes we can think, well, that you know, plants get all their nourishment from the sun and all that. But the truth is, the majority of the nourishment actually comes up from the root system. And the soil around it matters. And, and so, you know, and, and I believe that there's some spiritual truth here that we can apply to us. Just as this happened with these great, amazing trees. And I believe that even as we live for God, and I believe the longer that we live for God, we can be at one time and even look on the outside like, man, here's somebody who has been walking with the Lord, man, they're strong, and it just seems like nothing could ever happen to them. And then one day, they self-destruct, and we wonder, what just happened? See, my desire is I don't want us, any of us to self-destruct. I don't want any of you watching online to self-destruct. I want us to what? Be firm and stand the test of time. I want to, regardless if you're in here and you're 15 or if you're 50, if you're, I want you to what? Live your life for God. Forever. And yet I also realize that there are sometimes root problems in our life that cause tremendous damage if we leave them. And so, you know, these trees here, I mean, they're just amazingly resilient because they've gone through forest fires, they've gone through storms, they, many of them have been struck by lightning, all kinds of things, and yet they still live. And yet, this root problem toppled them. I believe it's the same can be true with us if we're not actually paying attention to what's going on in our hearts. And I'm gonna explain to you what that is in a moment. In our hearts, we can end up with, some pretty devastating consequences. They're unintended, but nevertheless, it's devastating. And I've seen this happen with people. I've seen where the devil has come and tried to to create conditions for me to self-destruct in. And if we're all honest, we've all had moments that are similar to this. And we can see that the enemy is coming in. Now, let me give you another example of this. Again, I'm not a green thumb, but i I do like green grass and I don't like weeds in my grass. So I I do have some knowledge because I dislike weeds and there's nothing more infuriating than me to me than to go pull up some weeds. And then the next week it's back. And I'm like, I pulled you. It's just maddening to me. Stupid clovers, this and that. I mean, you know, it's just all these little things. But why did it come back? Because I dealt with what I could see, not the root of the problem. Right? I mean, you know, I was just, as I mentioned, I was just in El Dorado. We're selling our house there, so forth so on. And I had these, uh, I don't know what they're called, but they're really prickly bushes. Like they got big leaves and they're really pointed and really sharp. So uh, two years ago, and right next to my air conditioner, anytime they had to come service my air conditioner anything like that, the tech I just knew hated me because he's over there getting stabbed by these little bushes. I mean, and they're like, you know, I don't know what they are, but they're long, pointy. Somebody probably knows what they are, but they're vicious is what they are (laughs) because inevitably I'd be mowing and one just stabbed me in the leg. I'm like, dad, got it. so we pulled them out. I mean, we, I was just like, get those stupid things out of here. They're annoying. Guess what was back this week? Them dumb bushes. I'm like, how is that even possible? And they were back pretty good size. And There was an air conditioner guy coming to service my unit. I'm like, sorry, uh, let me just apologize for what you're about to have to go into. No, see, we have to what? We have to get down to the roots of something to actually deal with it. We have to remove it from any future growth. And so that's really what this series is all about, is about issues of the heart. And it's vitally important. Because as we were talking about earlier, and even singing about, is that Jesus, yours is the victory, mine is the victory. I mean, we were saying, oh, the fountain that flows at what? Washes me white as snow. My, my, My heart is not to make you paranoid about areas of your life that may be not what God wants them to be, that may even be sinful. That's not my goal. But you know, you can have a perfectly manicured garden and weeds can pop up, and if weeds are left unchecked, they will suck the life out of your flower bed, your garden, whatever it may be. Why? Because it's an it's it, it's it's an, it's an impostor. It's trespassing, and that weed is sucking up a lot of nourishment that you wanted to go to your pretty little flowers. There's a, also a spiritual application in that as well. Is that sometimes we can work so hard trying to be who we think that God wants us to be and called us to be, and we're working so hard trying to maintain this that it's killing, really, our spiritual life. I'll say this way. At a minimal, it's dominating it. And what happens is that's when we become, what, more sin-minded than righteous-minded. So the devil gets us so busy on what we're not that we never focus on who we are. I mean, the Bible says that we are the righteousness of God in Christ right now. But even me saying that, the word righteous simply means being made right with God. That's all it means. But even in that, some of you would say, I don't feel right with God. You might be focusing on some issues around your spiritual root system that God wants to, what, uproot once and for all. And so that's what we're going to be sharing about and talking about, it. and so you know my my question for you is this: is how many things do we allow to hang around in our hearts that it's time to pull them up once and for all? that thing that just lingers and hangs around and and you know God wants to help you and all these things, but yet we just don't really fully deal with it. Maybe it's a relationship or or some friends or maybe it, it you know maybe it may not just be something obviously. That you just say, Oh, yeah, well, that's just sinful. You say, Well, let me just simplify. You say, Well, what's sin? Anything that is disobedient to God. So it doesn't just have to be a bad thing. If God says no, the answer is no. And God has told me, you need to at different times in my life, you need to distance yourself from these friends, these relationships. They're not going to help you get where you're going. So that was something that what was affecting my spiritual root system, and, and they were causing grief in my life, and I had to distance. See, the Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, this is out of the message translation. It says, keep vigilant, watch over your heart. Pay attention to your heart. That's where your life starts. Now, Another translation will say it this way. Guard your heart with all diligence. Now, that actually, I studied that out one time, and it gives you the picture of of like a guard standing at a vault in a bank. Now, we don't see this much in America. In other countries, you go to the bank, there's armed guards everywhere. You walk up to the front door, there's a guy with an AK standing right there. You're like, oh, I just want to come get some money. I'm not sure if I want to go in there. Then you go inside, and there's more guys with guns. And then there's two guys on either side of the vault. I remember this very well when I went to Africa a number of years ago. There were two guys fully armed with multiple guns on both sides of that vault. That's actually the picture of what it says here when it says to guard your heart. Guard it like it's something really, really precious and valuable on the inside. Why? Because there is. It's your heart. It's your heart. So you're like, well, what is my heart? It includes several things. Because I know there's some debate. Some people say, well, it's your soul. Some people say it's your spirit. You're like, what is it? It's, it's kind of an all-encompassing thing, really. It includes your thoughts, your will, your discernment. And here's another one. It's our affections. What are those things that that we long for, that we want? That's our heart. Another one is this, and I thought this was really interesting. It says, it's the center of all physical and spiritual life. Guard your physical life and guard your spiritual life many times we can be very mindful about what we put into our bodies right you go to the doctor he says hey you need to stop eating this you need to lay off the fried chicken i remember in college i used to get plasma because i wanted pizza money did it twice a week because that's all they'd allow me to do and uh, but they paid me for it i'm like i'm hungry and i want some pizza tonight i'm gonna go get some plasma and i would give plasma and they would look at my plasma and go you've been eating a lot of fried chicken haven't you is that a question Yes. And they could tell me what I had been eating because if, if I had a high-fat diet, guess what? It would be cloudy. Mine was always cloudy. Why? Because I'm, I'm, I'm going there to get pizza money. That's why. I'm not there to go buy some vegetables. I mean, <laughs> I want some pizza. And yet, sometimes we can be so mindful about our physical appearance, how we look, how we feel, all these things. Never giving, and even, like I had some things about a year and a half ago where I went to a doctor because I had some concerns. My, I felt like my heart was doing some funny things. And I'm like, look, I don't care what y'all do. Just figure it out. And yet, am I that urgent when it comes to my spiritual heart? Like my spiritual life? That I need to be paying attention to what's actually going on inside of me? Mark chapter 7 says this. Starting in verse 18. Now this is Jesus talking to the disciples. And I don't have time to get into all of it. But basically... He was giving the disciples some instruction. He was really giving them a parable about don't be like the Pharisees because they're right on the outside, but their hearts are wrong. That's really the context of this. So Jesus, now they come to him later and says, hey, will you explain to us what you were saying out there? And he says, don't you understand either? He says, can't you see that the food that you put in your body cannot defile you? Food doesn't go into your heart, but only passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer, that doesn't need explanation, does it? Okay, just want to make sure. It says, and then he adds, it is what comes from inside that defiles you. From within, out of a person's heart, and he gives a list of things here, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. Sometimes there's things that we allow in our life that are just foolishness. Sometimes we say things that are just foolish, right? But yet Jesus says, all these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. Now, I know that this word defile can mean a lot of different things, especially in our culture. Let me give you another word to help you connect with the meaning here. It's to pollute. Are we allowing things into our life that are polluting our heart? Why? Because our heart is actually good. If you're a Christian, if, you, if you've surrendered your heart to the Lord, the Bible says what? It's in the Old Testament. It's, God says, I will remove a hard heart, and I'm going to put a new heart in you. Your heart is good. Now, some of you don't even believe me when I say that because you're like, you don't know me. You don't know what I deal with. You don't know my struggle. You don't know what's happening in my mind and my thoughts. And you don't know how, what I think about people. I just never say it or I never act on it. But I, I'm not a good person. If Jesus is your Lord, you have a good heart. Why? Because you have a new heart. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Behold, all things have become new. Old things have passed away. Everything is new. Why? Because you are a new creature in Christ. That old man is dead. And yet we can deal and struggle with things that make us question, like, am I even saved? Am I the only person that's ever asked myself that question? Like, if, let me, this is what it will sound like. You may not say it like that. If I really loved Jesus, I wouldn't think like this. If I, if I was really a Christian, I wouldn't say things like that. I wouldn't want to do things like that. If, I was, if God had really changed me. Like I hear these things at church, but man, if this was true, maybe that's true for other people. I'm just not convinced that it's the enemy lying to you. Why? Because you have some issues that God wants to help you to deal with them. But those issues right now are sucking all the spiritual life out of you. Here's just a thought for you is that you don't pollute something that's already dirty. Have you ever thought about this? I didn't until I was sitting down and writing, getting some thoughts together. I've never heard someone say, hey, don't go pollute the, the landfill. Why? It's a bunch of trash. But we say don't pollute the highway. You know, be cl- or, don't be trashy, be classy. You, know, you ever seen those signs on the road? Don't pollute, don't, don't throw your cups out so forth, so on. Why? Because that's a, a maintained area. It's clean. And yet Jesus says here, don't pollute that which is clean. It's not, it's not these things. And so we have to, what, learn how to walk with Scripture. The Passion Translation of Proverbs 4, 23 says it this way. He says, so above all, I would actually encourage you to go read uh, Proverbs 4, verse 20 through about verse 24 to get it kind of all in context. But it says, so above all, guard the affections of your heart for they affect all that you do or all that you are, I'm sorry. So guard your affections. What's important to you? You need to make sure what's important to you is the right things. Many people sacrifice their family on the altar of success or of reputation or status or whatever it may be. Why? Because the affections are not in the right place. They're they're skewed. And he says, guard your affections of your heart, for they affect all that you are. And it says, pay attention to the welfare of your innermost being, for from there flows the wellspring of life. One translation says, when you study this, it actually says, guard your heart with all diligence. Why? Because out of it flows the issues of life. This is the way I would say it. It Guard your heart, because where your heart is, that's where you're headed. It's impossible to separate. That is your future. That's why this matters so much. Because your future is directly tied to the condition of your heart. Directly connected. So we have to be careful that life doesn't just become a pursuit of more-er. Because there's a lot of-er that we pursue. Let me give you some examples. I want to be rich-er. I wish I was pretty-er. I wish I was skinny healthier taller happier smarter stronger I wish I had a nicer car or a nicer house and the list goes on and on and on if I just had this I would be happy if I just had that I would be happy if this would just happen if I could just get this you know if I could just get this promotion that they've been telling me I'm going to get I'm going to be happier you know the Bible actually tells us that we have to learn to what be content in every season and sometimes I think that the blessings of God are actually waiting on our contentment in the season in which we're in. And God says, I want to bless you, but I can't because it'll destroy you. Why? Because you can't even be thankful for where I have you right now. Why? Because we're pursuing all these things. And so where do these desires come from? Some of these errs. And so I'm gonna, in the next few minutes, I'm going to touch on this first one this morning. I'm not gonna spend a ton of time on it because I wanted to kind of lay a bunch of the groundwork for the series, but, but I believe this one's very important. Why do we get these desires that we need more? Where does it come from? You know, we just had two, two pastors from Africa with us last week. It was the first time they'd ever been out of their country, first time ever on a plane, first time, you know, I mean, eating many things, <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, I've been to Africa. I mean, it's a completely, I mean, electricity's a luxury. Ice, you pay for it, right? You ask for something to drink, and they're going to bring it to you, but there's no ice. And then if you ask for ice, they're like, what? Because it's not as readily available, and yet we take things for granted. And yet I believe what happens is, is that when we begin to compare with other people, all of a sudden we begin to realize, well, maybe I need that. Maybe that's what I'm missing. And we begin looking for something to bring fulfillment in our life that never will. Because only God will bring real contentment. He doesn't have a problem with this, with us having things. That's, that doesn't bother God at all. He has a problem when those things have us. You're like, well, how do I know? Simple test. If God asked you to give it away, could you? It's pretty simple. You're like, well, God would never ask me to give my house. Probably not. But what if he said... You don't need such a nice house. Go buy a smaller house. Well, God, why, why would God ask me that? Maybe that house is too important. That, that's the difference it, because it becomes, it becomes who we are. Now, here's the danger of comparison. There's two outcomes that come from, from comparison, and they're equally dangerous. They equally have a, a negative effect in our life, and it's this. is that on one side, when you compare yourself, you become inferior, so it makes you feel bad about yourself. You're, you're less than. So all of a sudden you get this, like, uh, just it just causes you to shrink and pull back. The other one is superiority. So on one, you're like, I'm less than them. On the other side, you're like, I'm better than them. You know, there's, there's a passage in scripture where Jesus talked about two men that came to pray and, and one man came and prayed and, and he beat his chest saying, God, I need you, I need you, I'm, I'm so in trouble. And then there was a righteous A self-righteous man who came and prayed and says, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like that wretched sinner over there. So we don't want to be on either side. And yet when we begin to compare, I mean, everything is good in our life until the new thing comes out. The new car comes out. The the new, you know, I've shared before, I think, that one time I saw one of my neighbors got this new TV and I could see it from my driveway. And he was not across the street from me. He was down the street from me. I was like, I'm going to go get a chair and watch the Super Bowl on his TV from my driveway. I didn't know I needed a bigger TV, but apparently I do. You love your boat until you see your buddy's boat. And you're like, well, mine doesn't do that. Man, I need a new boat. Comparison slips in so fast. Well, man, if if I just had a spouse like they had, I'd love Jesus too. Man, if I just had kids like theirs, hey, water your own grass. Quit looking at somebody else's work wondering why you don't have what they had. Look at your own grass. Take care of your yard. Take care of your family. If you'll begin to water your your relationship with you and your spouse, guess what's going to happen? It might start looking like those, like theirs did. You start spending some time and investing in your kids, and guess what? They might start responding to you the way that. Those people, whoever they are, like, man, I, man, I, I see people, and, and man, they talk about their relationship with God and God's talking to them, and all these things. And God never talks to me. When's the last time you read the Bible? When's the last time you prayed? When's the last time that you put an investment into your spiritual life? I mean, but yet we can compare, and it becomes very competitive very quickly. But neither one of these extremes are good. We don't want to be less than, but we don't want to be more than. We want to be who God's called us to be, who he's created us to be. That's my goal. I don't want to get to heaven and tell God, look at all these great things I did. And he goes, that's awesome. I didn't ask you to do any of it. Oh, shoot. (laughs) I mean, I don't want to look at him like, "What, what, what did you ask me to do? It's a little too late in that moment. We see this in Scripture, and it's in John chapter 21. I'll just read you a couple verses, but this is Jesus is resurrected from the dead, and, and he's actually talking to the disciples. In verse 20 of John 21, Jesus is telling Peter really about his future. And I think it's so interesting because here it is the resurrected Christ, and Peter's thinking about himself. Like he's talking to Jesus face to face, they're walking together. And Jesus tells Peter, he said, look, this is what your future is going to look like. And it says in verse 20 that Peter turned around and saw behind him the the disciple that Jesus loved, which was John, who conveniently wrote this. Talk about comparison, just throw that out there. The one who leaned over to Jesus during supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? And, And Peter asked Jesus, what about him? How many times have we asked the Lord that? God, why did you do that for them? Why, why, would you, why, would you, why would this happen for them? And, and all of a sudden, what happens? We become inferior we begin, because we're asking the wrong question, truthfully. And Jesus responds and says, if I want him to remain alive, because actually Jesus just told Peter how he was going to die. He says, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? In other words, Peter, mind your business. I'm talking to you about you. Don't worry about John. Peter had a focus problem. We can see that throughout Scripture, but he had a little ADD, so we, there's hope for all of us, you know. But he asks, he says, what is this to you? Peter, why do you care about John? As for you, follow me. Don't worry about him. Peter, you follow me. You do what I tell you to do. Don't worry about what John can take care of John. I'll take care of him. Don't worry about him. And yet, we can fall so easily into this trap by simply comparing ourselves to what we perceive someone else to have. I've seen it happen. People that seemingly have great marriages, and then they're splitting up. You're like, wait a second, I knew them. Like, man, they they had it all together. Or you, you know, you, you drive in these neighborhoods, and you see these big old houses, and big old cars, and fancy stuff everywhere, and... You're like, man, it sure must be nice to have that kind of money. I wish there was a way to like put a sign on the front of everybody's house that just said, I owe this much money. Because it would make us feel a lot better. You drive by that million-dollar house, and you're like, man, that must be amazing to live in that million-dollar house. Oh, but you're 1.5 million in debt. Because that car you're driving don't belong to you. That house you live in don't belong to you. Your wife didn't actually look like that. I debated whether to say that one or not, but (laughs) why not? I mean, you know, we get so, like, enamored by this stuff. I mean, and I do it. I mean, I see somebody drive by with a truck and a big old boat on the back, and I'm like, golly, that's sweet. But I don't want the note that came with it, I can tell you. I mean, I, I had this thought the other day. A guy was driving a truck and a boat behind it. And my immediate first thought was, that's $100,000 Easy. Probably closer to one hundred and fifty, For a truck and a boat. And I don't even mean a fishing boat, I mean like a ski boat. I was like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and yet, it's so easy for us to what? Compare. To fall into these moments thinking, man, if I just had this, if I just had that. Maybe we ought to live a little more sin. And I don't mean not blessed. I just mean not cluttered. It's easy to live cluttered. Just stuff. Stuff, 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 stuff. And we get that because we're comparing. And it's like, what do I need? What do I need? You know, I've always said this, and me and Dara have moved a few times, and I tell people this is, especially young men who are especially in the ministry, I tell them this because of my experience. And I'm like, look, I just want you to know. And I, and I'm, they always ask me, like, what's your advice? What's your advice? What's your advice? I tell them the same thing every time. I'm like, wherever God calls you, she's the only one going with you. Make sure you take care of her. So for me today, now I have kids. When I moved to Lake Charles, nobody else moved with me, but they did. And I need to make sure that, well, because that's what's important. But yet I can, I can get busy doing all these things, looking outside of my family, comparing it to everybody else. Well, I need this, and I need that, and I, we got to have this, and we got to have that. And while it may even be good intention, it may not be what's best. So I have to, what, guard my heart to actually say, what's the motive behind wanting that boat? See, the boat is just the surface. And many times we want to deal with the surface of stuff, as opposed to saying, why do I Why do I have this desire? Why do I have this longing? Why do I have this affection in me? See, that's that that kind of turning internal. In other words, what's the root of this? Where is this coming from? I I want to make sure that I don't live a life that I'm pursuing things that God never intended for me to pursue. As a matter of fact, if God wants me to have a $100,000 boat, he could just give me one. Can he not? I'm not saying I want one, I'm just saying. But we have to be able to live in that place. God, if you really wanted me to have that, you could just give it to me. So if you want me to have one, great. But I, I don't need that. I don't, I don't, I don't need that. Necessi- I'm not pursuing trying to make that happen. I want you to bless me. I don't want me to create blessings. Big difference. So we can easily fall into this trap, though, just comparing ourselves how we perceive things and then we want it we become jealous we become envious it's this longing it's this affection I need that I need that I need that here's another way you can tell like especially in the area of of comparison how do you respond when God blesses someone else somebody gets a whatever new house new car whatever it may be are you jealous are you happy for them I just use that if somebody gave me a hundred thousand dollar boat, would you be happy for me? Or would you be jealous? Now that's a far extreme example, but I'm just using it as an example. Would you have the thought of, man, I'm so thankful that that's so awesome. If God did that for him, God will do that for me, or would you say, That must be nice? Preacher don't need a hundred thousand dollar boat, which I don't. But you know, but you see what I'm saying? You look at the external, but there's actually a root that needs to be dealt with. It may be your neighbor. It might be your family member. It might be the person sitting next to you today. And God blesses them. How, I mean, it can even happen with your spouse. God blesses your spouse, and all of a sudden, there's like this resentment in you towards them. And it's like, well, you don't deserve that. I know you. I know what you got going on. (laughs) You know, I mean, but it happens. And the enemy is what? Getting a foothold right there. He's jumped in right in that moment, and he's grabbed a foothold. We've given him place in our life. Our heart is not wrong, but we've given place to the enemy to come in. See, we should be the first ones to be excited, not sitting back going, "Man, I wish God would do that for me." James chapter three, verse fifteen and sixteen says this: "For uh, for jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unscriptural, and demonic." It's like, wow, that went real heavy, real fast, didn't it? It's like, jealousy and selfishness, not God's kind of wisdom. Okay, they're earthly. All right, unscriptural. Okay, demonic. Like, really? That's what scripture says though. It says, for wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder in every kind of evil work. So if the enemy's kind of working in this area of your life, why? Because there's selfish ambition. There's jealousy. You're giving the enemy a place to what? Bring other kinds of evil work into your life. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30 says, a peaceful heart let me say it this way. A healthy heart leads to a healthy body. Jealousy is like a cancer in the bones. Like, well, it doesn't seem to be that big a deal, man. I, you know, it's just, a, I, I just want what they have. It is one of the Ten Commandments, by the way. Don't covet. Don't, don't desire something that doesn't belong to you. Here it says that jealousy is like a cancer. And what it's really saying is that, look, it will never be satisfied. It will eat away at you, and eat away at you, and eat away at you. You're not just one day going to get over it. You're going to have to have the Lord to help you. See, what happens is that when we fall into this comparison trap, what we're actually telling God is we don't like who he's created us to be. Like somehow he made a mistake. Like, God, I I, I need to trade up. You, you didn't do right in, by creating me, and I need something better. One of the other unintended consequences that happens with comparison is that we actually, when we begin to compare to someone else, we are actually limiting our ability to see who God's created us to be. It limits our ability to see who and what God wants us to be. Why? Because we're constantly comparing, constantly comparing, constantly comparing. Instead of saying, hey, let me just, like Peter, Peter, you focus on you. Peter, you got enough problems by yourself. You don't need to worry about everybody else. Peter, you just work on you. See, we have to what be in the place where we trust God. God, I understand where I'm at. I may not know all the reasons of why, but I, I'm just I'm committed that my heart is going to be right in everything that I do. I'm committed to it. So I, I believe this is a prayer that we could all pray. His Lord, help me. Quit comparing myself, measuring myself. Where am I at in comparison to my friends or those people around me or my coworkers? Or Quit comparing yourself. If you can get there, it's a freeing place to be. I'm not measuring up to anybody except for who God wants me to be. You know, I read something here recently. I thought it was so cool. I may have shared this. I can't remember. But they said that when I stand before God, I'll see my twin and I hope that we're identical. In other words, God's going to say, this is who I created you to be, and this is who you are, and I hope we look exactly the same. I hope I don't stand there and go like, I'm nothing like them. And God says, but that's, that's who you were created to be. I want to make sure, man, that I'm an identical twin to that person in that moment. So I'm give you three things real quick. These are, I'll go through these really fast. But these are keys to help you get free from comparison. Number one is glorify God. Make your life about glorifying God. Everything I do, everything I say, everything I desire, everything I want, man, God, I want to bring glory to you. I want to glorify you with my life. Number two, be thankful for what you have. Be thankful. Start looking around. It's amazing. If you'll start looking around for things to be thankful for, guess what? You'll be thankful. Hey, I thank you for, I get to go eat lunch today. I'm thankful that I get to go to an air-conditioned house when I go home, and it's not, like, just hot. And humid and all those things. I thank you that I got to sleep in a bed last night. I think I had to take a, a, a hot shower last night or this morning, whichever be your preference. I'm thanking that I get to go get in a car and drive in the air condition. I think you, I have windows in my car. I mean, you think I'm crazy. There's blessings. Father, I thank you that you brought a spouse into my life. I thank you that you've given me kids. I thank you that you've given me a family. I thank you that you've given me a job. Like I hate my job. Start being thankful for it. Start believing God for a better one, but be thankful for where He's got you right now. I mean, it, it makes a difference. We gotta change the way we see things, our perceptions of things. It makes a huge difference. It makes a massive difference. So just as we've been, as I shared with you earlier, you had know, these. Two massive trees out in the foyer. They were beautiful, they were strong, they were healthy. But the roots actually created an issue that actually killed the tree. The same is true and can be true in our life if we're not careful. We can be strong and great, and then one day it seems like everything, the wheels come off. No, it was actually something that's been going on, just you couldn't see it. That's why it's important. you got to look into your heart say, Holy Spirit, I need you to help me. Reveal my heart. Show me Show me what's going on inside of me. Why do I want this so bad? That ambition, man. I, I'm a pretty ambitious person, and, and my ambition can work against me many times. It can. But I've had to learn how to just go to the Lord and just say, All right, Lord, I, I, I need, why do I want this so bad? Just show me my heart. And then he shows me. I'm like, Oh, I don't want that. <laughs> Not right now. If you want that in my life, bring it to my life. But I, 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 I don't. Why? Because I'm trying to guard my heart. So over these next few weeks, we're going to be talking about this and sharing different topics, different things, different, just several things that, that the Lord's really put in my heart that I believe will help you to remain spiritually strong. Because that's the goal. Like I said earlier, I want you to last long term. Not just be a short term, live for the Lord for a time. No. I want you to be old and loving Jesus. You know what I'm saying? That sounds pretty good. I want to make sure I'm old and I want to make sure I'm loving Jesus.